Namaste. I've been asked to speak on psychological well-being from the yogic perspective. Why do we need a yogic perspective? One reason is because we don't really know what man is from all the paradigms that are right now available with us. One of my biggest shocks, if I may say, when I joined the psychiatry department of uh, the medical school was that I was looking for a concept of what normalcy is according to the current paradigms and there was none. So I had of course read the Gita and um, I understood normalcy from that point of view. The the concept that time was of sthit pragya. Of course I had started reading Shurabindo, had my own experiences about it. But um, Normalcy as it is today is very often unfortunately defined by the absence of abnormality and abnormality is defined by the absence of normalcy. What it means is that it's a statistical understanding, it's true even of physical illnesses and there's a great fallacy in doing so but leaving that apart, coming straight to the psychological issues. So the concept of normalcy as it stands today is that one Individually, if there is a consistency of behavior in a certain way, we call it normal. For instance, an individual is, you know, by nature a little anger prone, he is a bit greedy. Then since beginning he has shown that behavior. So at 60, 65, somebody says, you know, something is wrong with him. No, no, he has been like that. So one is that individual normal, a person is consistent with his Shall I say abnormality? It's regarded as normal. The second aspect is from the larger perspective of commonality of human beings. So that's the other way that normalcy is defined. An average human being is regarded as having certain kinds of behaviors which is uh, socially acceptable, humanly, we regard it as reasonable and we call it normal. If a person deviates from that, then it is regarded as abnormal. Let's take an example two examples which come from history. One is of course individual normalcy and abnormalcy. For Arjuna to lay down arms before an army was not really normal given his prowess and given what Arjuna stood for and his capacities. It was a bit unusual for him. At the same time if you look at collectively then at that point of time or at any point, we read about the gladiators, we read about the way people lived, the way people uh, you know, fought wars and the way they meted out justice. So it was regarded as normal. I mean, today's times, times have changed and somebody who says, I am going to take the law in my hands, he will be regarded as abnormal. So uh, normalcy is something which we have not yet discovered. And therefore a yogic perspective is necessary because the yogic perspective brings in a completely new dimension to what man is. So when we look at the term used for man in Indian thought, it is the same term which is used to define the divine being, Purusha. So it's the same term is used indicating at one level that man has been made in the image of the one Lord and also indicating his possibility that of all the creatures, man is one 
part of that creation who can consciously become one with his creator. So these are the two basic premises of yoga. Primarily what it means is that man has not yet arrived at his normal normalcy, what he is capable of. So if we take that man is what he is today and he will forever remain like that, then this is one way that one can deal with it. The second is that there are possibilities within man. And unless he arrives at the fullness of these possibilities, uh, we can't really call him normal in the truest sense of the word. So, Shiovindra has this famous, uh, you know, one of those one-liners where he says, man is an abnormal seeking his own normalcy. Uh, What it means is that if you really look at society, there are certain kinds of things which are regarded as normal. Unfortunately, we go by still, whatever we may speak about inner being and motives and intents, we still see the outer behavior. And that's one of the biggest strongholds of falsehood. So anybody can, you know, speak nicely, can dress up nicely, uh, you know, can be carrying a card which contains the degrees. And it's so easy to get fooled. Simply because we are looking at the external behavior. The person is very uh, neat, well behaved. Uh, But the same person, it's like Jekyll and Hyde. When these social, uh, uh, you know, there are no no such social barriers or regulations, can behave worse than anyone else. You know, this is what is typified in one of the stories in the Upanishads where all the creatures go to Lord Brahma and tell him that why is man regarded as the highest? We have a problem there. So Brahmaji asked why. He says his behavior, everything that we see in him is worse than any of us. So dog said, you know, he is worse than me in faithfulness. The snake says he is so much deceitful that I at least show my fangs and people are afraid of me. But this fellow shows very nice smile on the face but is carrying poison fangs inside and so on and so forth. Lion says that, you know, he kills by deceit. Otherwise, uh, there is no way that he can take a challenge from me. And it goes on all the list of complaints and Brahmaji hears all of them patiently. He is not in a hurry to, you know, settle the files and after hearing all the witnesses, he says, I understand your problem. But you see, man is still regarded as the highest because he carries within him something which none of you have. So what is that something which man has? So he has got within him the discerning intelligence through which he can go higher and higher. The possibility that he can self-reflect, change, evolve is there in man. So then the animals don't know what it is, so they cut his sorry figure. Uh, Then they say, but you know, uh, he doesn't seem to use it. So then Lord Brahma says that, well, if he doesn't use it, he is worse than you, all of you. And if he uses it, then he is higher than even himself. So this is the predicament of man, very beautifully described in Savitri, at one place, that a cross between the demigod and the beast. So this is how man is. On one side, our one leg is in animality, we are evolving out of it and there is a huge chunk which is as unconscious as an animal driven by pure instincts and you know. Uh, but to that is added this mind which can fabricate things, it can twist things, it can 
put up a facade. So that makes it one of the most dangerous in terms of the animality aspect of man. But there is the other aspect which is also revealed to us in the Upanishads that all the gods dwell within the human body. Because the form of human body or, or the human being's form is such that it has the capacity of releasing gods in on a material basis. So that's something fantastic. Now, depending on which way we look at it, depending on what is trending within a human being, what current he is flowing with, he can become worse than an animal and he can become greater than a god. This is the big challenge of a human being. And that's where yoga steps in. What does yoga do? It is a process through which we can accelerate this evolution which is still due to man. In Savitri, there is a very beautiful passage where Sri says, man's still a child in nature's mighty hands, in the succession of the moment lives. So we think too much about ourselves, but the fact is that to a changing present is his narrow right. The future flees before him as he moves. He looks at imagined garments, not a face. His memory stares back at a phantom past. He knows not. He waits to weigh the certitude of his thoughts. He waits to see the consequence of his acts. Yet he knows not whether he shall survive or perish like the mastodon and the sloth from this earth where he was king. So this is our predicament. And this is because there is within us a tremendous evolutionary impetus and yoga takes that out and helps us evolve beyond man. This is the whole purpose of yoga. Now, not going into the details of that. Now, So from the yogic perspective, man's evolution is not yet complete. So what are the issues which really stalk us even though outer behavior may be normal it's not about having a breakdown as I said many many people if they are not labeled as sick uh, they are regarded as normal but I often used to say this uh, half jokingly in my department in psychiatry that there are people who are not sick but they make others sick so you know they are themselves not labeled as abnormal But they have been the cause of making many people abnormal. So, which one is better? Well, that's a different story altogether. So, the reason is there are three particular problems. There are many problems inside us. We are busy seeing the problems outside, trying to sort them out. When we sit for discussions, we are busy about what's happening in Afghanistan and what's Iran's policy and, you know, America, India and everywhere else. But uh, as Bulesha put it so beautifully... uh, you fought with this, you fought with that. Apni nafas to So, with your own ego, you have never battled. That's why you cannot understand the world and cannot do a jot about it in the real sense unless you have conquered your own ego. So, the first problem of man is that his center is in a place which is no center. You know, when we look at the ego, it's ego as a principle. Is it, It's... People often say, does the soul exist? Does it have a form? Well, the soul is a form and it exists. Those who have seen the soul can say. But the ego doesn't have a form. It's like a non-existent reality. So what does it do? It's like a cap which suddenly takes hold of one part of the being. And I think this is myself. So in the morning, when a person gets up and says, Lord, you are great. Well, this is one part. But in the evening, the same person is accusing and God for, you know, his misdeeds, which man has to suffer. So within us, the ego is like a chameleon, which is changing colors all the time. Because it's a kind of manager who doesn't know how to manage the house. It doesn't even understand the house. 
let alone manage so it's a deputy manager and it tries to uh, handle things its tool is reason which again is equally ignorant because reason depends on the data of the senses so this is the big challenge of man that we live by the ego self and the ego self really cannot handle our life really 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 it cannot we have this illusion that it can so what really is the ego self ego self is when we identify ourselves with the mind body heart and all this nature when we identify ourselves with this or that aspect of nature that is called as the ego self this ego self then extends family identification identification of the house i live in identification with my outer court this is that famous joke of i mean real story of uh, you know gb shaw when he was invited to a, a party and the princess told him that you know it was uh, some i think it was a duchess and she told him ki look you know sir please dress up properly that's the only requirement and he dressed up very properly and he started eating the ice cream and as if clumsily started putting it on his coat and um, then you know people started laughing and he said you see my coat is more important than me so i'm just proving the point he was a witty person so but this is still worse identifying with mind life body is a mechanism that nature has given us so that till we discover the true malik true owner of the house it's kind of a makeshift arrangement till the owner comes but as an extension we start extending it as if the whole world is my empire so ego what does it do it it automatically it universalizes itself looks at itself at the center of this creation and expects that everything in this world from god to the person who is with me the animal life this nature elements everything should move with me at the center so when something happens in life which he is not you know it hurts the ego or it's not according to my uh, you know expectation is simple thing like i want to go out and enjoy the sunny weather and if it rains so the ego self is hurt just because you know oh why there is this rain here we don't even realize that this rain is so helpful to lot of people probably the farmers will be rejoicing it but the ego self feels very unhappy so the problem of ego self is it is a false vision of reality even when it speaks of god it's it believes in a god who is all the time a benevolent merciful god and a omnipotent god who is there at his service even god is a slave whatever i ask him must do it but he is not wise enough to decide for us so this is the problem with the ego self that it's perpetually seeking its own gratification for its own sake and it wants to then extend this into everyone so typical way of ego um leading a life social life is that it wants every group it goes into those groups which are what is called as like minded people with everybody should think alike everybody should have the same custom tradition and therefore this tendency tends to ultimately we know that ideological wars even fanaticism all this is the result of this tendency taking a very abnormal degree even in ordinary human life it is there as a tendency within the house when a person wants everybody to think the same way or dress in a particular way so this is the way that ego is trying to assert itself it takes an extreme form uh, with certain groups so this is the number one problem of man and we'll talk about the solution but first to understand the problem second is that there is a great degree of restlessness we are so used to it we don't even regard that it is a restlessness that's why when we Uh, you know people are asked to sit down and just be quiet and forget about meditation mother said so beautifully there's so many moments in life when we can just look at 
just the setting sun look at uh, just an image outside or within and it's like a door opening inwards or door opening upwards we can widen our consciousness reflect upon life raise some questions why am i here what are what am i doing where am i going where do i really come from but there is as the great poet said hardly we have time to stand and stare and someone very beautifully said every day we should raise this question where do i come from where am i going and who am i and we will see that as we progress these questions change but we have no time because well we are very busy people and when we have uh, no work to do then there is always the internet there is whatsapp so we are very busy people because you know we must reply to every Uh, blue tick on the whatsapp not only reply we must see whether a blue tick is there or not and every mail whether so the result is that this extreme degree of restlessness within us as if we are seeking something we don't know what it is but the real cause of this restlessness is one the desire self which is all the time wanting something it's never happy it's wanting something it doesn't even know what it's wanting and if you look at the arrangement of creation then we understand the deeper cause as we go higher and higher it's exactly like earth as we go higher and higher we can climb to a zone where air flows very peacefully and smoothly so that's the principle behind flights taking off to you know 35 40000 feet because uh, the air is very rare it supports the flight you can go very fast the friction thing is very less but as we start coming down there are these winds which clash with each other there are storms as we come still lower the whole thing is very turbulent so within us also within the, the same thing applies inwardly that as we climb higher and higher in terms of consciousness we see that the whole atmosphere is much much vaster and calmer shubhendu describes the higher mind as a steady sunlight and if you go still further we enter into zones which are by the nature calm and quiet and as we take a dip down and down you see what happens when we are angry when we are driven by desire lust fears see how restless we become this is a kind of a uh, you know vicious cycle for instance we had recently the pandemic uh, i don't know whether it's still going on or we ever had it these two things are as confusing but the point is that there is so much fear and this fear generates so much restlessness now when a person is restless it's not only about his mind being restless all the body mechanisms are going haywire why because the mind is not able to give a correct signal even for healing it's confused oh the doctor should see me did i get the medicine is this medicine right is the ventilator there the figures so what is happening is normally the mind would give the right switches uh, the will the faith they will all be activated in the right way and as shubindu advised long back when there was epidemic of influenza that just stay quiet stay inward call for the higher force it is unable to do that because it's in this zone of constant restlessness so when we live by the desired self when we then of course it's extreme forms are lust possessiveness dominating all these are but the root is in desire so what is the problem with desire isn't it normal to people yes it is normal but in the sense of the average normalcy the problem of desire the reason why it came was to shake off the tamas in nature inertia in nature but at the same time its uh, side effect is that the desire doesn't even know what it really wants because it wants the object for its own sake and it believes erroneously because it's under a view, cover of ignorance that if i have this object i'll be a happy person often i you know give this story and it's uh, so apt so there was a person who walked into a 
you know facility where they were uh, psychologically uh, people were depressed and one person was constantly calling out lulu lulu oh my lulu and uh, the person asked what's wrong was visiting with the psychiatrist what's wrong with this man well he loved lulu so much oh i i understand but he couldn't marry he didn't marry her oh i understand yes it happens when you love somebody and don't marry it's very painful and as he goes further there is another person uh, few beds down the line and he is also saying lulu 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 so what's wrong with him did he also love lulu and didn't get married said no his problem is slightly different he got married to lulu and is unhappy so oh is it acha then he takes a chuckle and says yes it happens few beds down the line there is a third person who is saying lulu 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 he says what's wrong with this person he says no no he doesn't even know who lulu is So why is he crying taking a name he is looking at these two people who are crying in the name of lulu and he believes that lulu is somebody very desirable now isn't it something which we start from the childhood educating a child that this is desirable who decided that so often when parents try to counsel you know tell their children all kinds of uh, things and sometimes they come to me ki bacche ko samjhaiye so i ask them that aap samajh gaye have you understood now let me do my job you know don't ki bacche ko samjhai maybe most of the time parents need to be counseled because they are the ones who have put into the child's head these kind of conditionings a child is naturally very happy it's we who have started putting one bar and another bar and third bar between him and his happiness by the time he grows up the child believes that only if i get these uh, many number of lulu i'll be happy but it's not true at all because happiness is not in lulu happiness is within us and if we are happy then it doesn't matter whether it's x y z we'll still be able to not only discover happiness within us but you know grant happiness to the mythical lulu of our dreams so this problem of desire is it's ignorantly seeking it believes that this object is going to give me happiness and uh, you know i often give this example objects giving happiness is like when you take a bite of your most favorite dish how long does the happiness last either till you take the next sip of water or till you take the next bite so this is what happiness is about recently there was a very interesting uh, experiment which which relates to this you know desired self where there was this candy some of us may have heard about it and there was this candy you know uh, marshmallow uh, as it is called there so but well for us candy is a more general term which children are very fond of and children were asked to sit there and uh, they were told if you don't eat the candy uh, you will get the second one if you eat the candy well that's it so the teachers uh, the the person who was conducting the experiment went out just after few minutes 5 minutes they came in so uh, number most children had eaten up the candies they couldn't resist some debated this that and then they finally ate up and then very few children just three or four they waited for the second candy now the experiment didn't end here now they started studying long term 10 years down the line and they were in for a very strange uh, discovery all who had uh, eaten the candy in the first go turned out to be in real life as having number of issues problems uh, almost like a failure because you know they were restlessly jumping from one thing to other to the another wanting to have things immediately whereas those who had waited 
they were much more emotionally stable their life was a lot more um, in terms of their inner nature was lot more happy simply because they had learned how to wait with patience so this is a basic training but what desire does at its extreme it makes us very impatient it wants us not only to have the object but have it now instantly so this uh, and sometimes unfortunately we have this uh, whole Uh, society is built around you know consumerism instant gratification it's not a healthy thing we are leading people just contrary to what the what the yogic vision tells us so desire self is the second problem and the third problem which is really a major issue because desire and the ego self has been identified by many all the mystics identify it right buddha and earlier the vedic rishis and right down to our line but this is a problem which hardly anybody has identified and shobindo lays his finger right there uh, it's that within us we carry our own contradictions you know of course walt whitman was right when he said well i am not consistent i uh, i contradict myself i contain multitudes now there are within us many many different types of gentlemen our heart does not obey our head and our head completely suppresses the heart it doesn't listen to it our reason and faith they are at contradiction with each other we desire something which a deeper will does not approve there is a contradiction between our aspiration and our desire so all the time within us there is a kind of inner battle going on and very often what we do is we let one part dominate and suppress the others but the problem with that is that the entire energy which is uh, there in that part is not released and it makes us maimed incapable and we don't even realize that why we are suffering from this incapacity to give an example uh, often I, i tell people that you know the two vitamins which people need most these days is vitamin f and vitamin l so they ask where will i be get it so you don't have to pay for it you don't get it in pharmacy so what is vitamin f it is faith so because there is such a left brain dominant looking at life so we have suppressed faith faith is something bad faith is something like a belief system we don't even know that there is a world of difference between faith and belief system so faith is something not to be talked about faith is something very personal without even examining and understanding and vitamin l which is really deficient is love why because uh, you know entire culture which is developing around the ego self and its gratification uh, authentic love is completely missing the relations have become so much uh, you know based on give and take what my interest your interest so love which is missing uh, of course uh, mothers do carry that uh, still that uh, little hope that you know they they contain little bit of that love uh, but uh, the result is where there is no love what does love bring love brings joy and beatitude so the degree of depression that is number of cases because there is lack of love and imagine the kind of therapies which are coming into existence 200 dollars you pay and you hug a cow get a pet home well yes it works simply because for a change you learn to give love it it opens a door inside or receive some love because animals are those who can they are giving us the lesson of love because they love unconditionally so this is something so beautiful so because of all this contradictions within us we have developed along a line where we are top heavy very intelligent in terms of head and 
lot of vital passion ambition this is precisely the combination that we put children into that you must be intelligent you must be able to perform very well and passion to achieve so what happens the heart is stunted love love is of no utility really so the result is an entirely asuric civilization asura by definition is a being who is extremely intelligent but with a hollow in the heart and extremely ambitious so what is the result not only an individual is suffering but a whole generation and society and its long term repercussions we know and uh, i need not go into that entire dark side this needs to be corrected and that corrective is yoga what does it teach first that ego is not the center excuse me neither my ego nor collective ego nor the group ego none of this is the center what does it teach the center is that ineffable reality that source the creator god call him by anything that divine the mother the creatrix that is the center find that so beautifully yamna chiketa samvad where you know uh, nachiketa says i want to know the secret of immortality and death tells him why do you want to know even gods don't know it <laughs> i'll give you a lot of horses and cows and cattle and uh, women and kingdom and money wealth why don't you take all this and nachiketa asks a very pertinent question such a simple common sense we have lost you know he asks that will you one day take them away only a child has the courage to ask such a question well my boy i will i give them i'll take them they are subject Shubhendra says in Savitri, all that we have, the gifts of time, cannot satisfy the spirit's sacred thirst. They cannot because it'll come and one day it'll be taken away. It's not that don't have them, but don't believe that they are of ultimate value. They are there if they come, use them rightly, divinely. But don't get that this is what I am seeking. Don't start seeking them. So the So Yama says that well you can choose it he says no I don't want this I want that which is eternal and lasting this is a small little exercise very sobering so when people are you know going through this loss and you know sometimes a financial loss sometimes it's various kinds of loss even personal loss of you know people for instance who have gone away so I ask them that are you grieving for the person or for yourself if you are grieving for the person know that the person is moving towards freedom and for a new becoming and if you are grieving for yourself then see what was wrong with the relationship where what was it that i was getting from him that value the true value is not in the form it's something else and maybe you can look for it in the higher sense in the truest sense in that from where it never you can never lose it so human love to divine love that's what i am suggesting so when we look at life like that that you know the first thing it teaches us that the objects the things it's myself my family god is not at their service if he seems to concede is because he is benevolent and compassionate but a time comes when we start taking it for granted and we think okay anyways it's his job job description and the time has come for us to evolve so he gives us lot of opportunity to evolve when things are very nice but we don't so sometimes the same god who plays masuri uh, janmashtami tomorrow so generally we celebrate the vrindavan aspect of shri krishna you know we have nice uh, jhaki and all that and baby krishna no because he is born uh, don't forget krishna is revolution the moment he put his foot on the soil the kingdom of kansa had started crumbling 
prisons doors were opened what prisons are they they are not just prisons of outer life they are inner prisons prisons of thought prisons is a vichar dhara kansa represented a way of life a way of thought and all that starts breaking up yamuna heaves because now it's no more going to be you know it krishna is revolution and yet we are very comfortable with krishna of vrindavan bake bihari uh, you know <laughs> govardhan uh, govind of course uh, you should be able to find out why there are so few temples of sri krishna as chakrapani krishna is not just uh, you know murli manohar shyam sundar he is also chakrapani he is also krishna of the gita who declares on the battlefield kalos me bhava loka shakrat pravadha i am the lord but i am manifesting as death death what have you come to to slay all these creatures oh opposite side no no even this side whatever is based on ego whatever is based on evil is going to be destroyed so what will survive at the end only that which can stand pure on the truth of its purpose the hour of god you know shubindu says that so basically when we start looking at life afresh that's not meant only to for my enjoyment and pleasure then the entire thing changes there are philosophies even religions which declare uh, so foolishly that god made the lower animals just so that we can eat them i have never heard something as absurd as that as if he was preparing this earth so that man can come and devour it that's an entirely asuric way of looking at life whereas the true way of looking at it life is that he is doing it for the delight of existence take delight in everything it's not desire but delight which is behind creation it's so beautiful to hug a cow and to you know feel her as your mother and take delight in the cow and so silly and brute and barbaric to kill to eat it but that's how we are because the whole civilization has proceeded along those lines so we have to set the balance right dethrone the ego and install god so ego is the one which uh, brings in all kinds of viruses the virus of dissatisfaction the virus of frustration the virus of unhappiness misery mother gave a very interesting solution when people would say mother i am unhappy i am i am unhappy mother says if you think about yourself life will be unhappy the least we could do is instead of thinking about ourselves think of there so many other things in this world but again when we not don't think about ourselves we are still that ideological groove in which we are going let's think about something still vaster it's one of the solutions to step back as i said and look at life and its images going through centuries and millenniums look at the centuries that pass what survives you know from the time of the mahabharata look at how for 2500 years such lineage of kings and then look at how the greeks the huns the portuguese the moguls and finally the british french all these people invaded india they have come and gone what has survived is the gita this is called satyameva jayate it's not just about outward events eventually so to hold on to that which is eternal not these things of relative value they have a value but a relative value they can be used beautifully a computer can be used very beautifully it can be used most maliciously we all know that so the first thing is that life should be at the service of something greater higher if not the divine fortunate who can put it at the service of the divine but at least within us the urge for progress conscious aspiration so dethrone the ego ego is limiting us into a little hole it tends to put us into a hole of misery and there we are lamenting 
Sometimes even when there is no reason to lament, we are lamenting as the mother said about this man who, had, who was punishing himself that I am guilty and I should be in hell. He had died and she could see that he is suffering uh, in a hell of his own making. And she said there is no hell out here. So he said, no, no, I am a guilty person. I'm, I have committed sin and therefore I must suffer. <laughs> it took her quite an effort and the yogic knowledge to you know, destroy that illusion. So these are the illusions in which the ego uh, traps us. So, first thing is dethrone the ego and bring in God, the soul. And where is it located? Precisely the point which we have missed. It's in the heart. We have missed the heart, forgotten it. The mind we remember, left brain. And whatever quarrel is there between the left and the right. As somebody said that um, there are two sides of the brain. The left has nothing right in it and the right has nothing left in it. Well, that has happened because who will harmonize the left and the right? It is the heart within us. So this heart which we have missed out, in the depths of the heart, the divine presence resides. That's why in India we say namaste, joining our hands at the heart. We don't do this awkward gesture and say namaste. And instinctively, me, we don't touch the head and say me. We don't touch the belly and say me. We touch it here. This is where Nachiketa is told by Yama, Here is Aditi, this is what thou seekest. First thing, to seek the divine, to seek the perfection which you don't find in life. To seek the permanent and not the temporary and the transient. They are there. But first let us find the bedrock, the solid rock on which we can stand and that image of Kanyakumari Swami Vikananda comes into my eye. It is not just an image. It's a powerful symbol of standing on a rock. Look at the monk meditating with the sea all around splashing. This is the image of a yogin who is firm within his soul, rooted as a rock upon a rock, while the world forces are passing by. You see, look at Shurabindu when all this was the harbinger of the change. But where did the power come from? When the entire world is engaged in, plunged into that first world war and all this is going on. What was Shiobindu doing? Through the Arya, bringing new light into the world. But the ego can see only its little interest, its little... It cannot look beyond. It cannot free its gaze to reach wisdom sun. So, to dethrone the ego and install God. And how to do it? Through concentration, through making him the center of a life, serving him in whatever way, through humility, that he is the one source. This world is meant for him. He is the creator. I am meant for him. To, through constant remembrance. How do we bring peace into this desired self, ever restless? The Gita gives us such a wonderful, simple ways. One of the most simplest of ways. Nishkam karma. We have this ignorant idea that without desire we won't move. Try doing it. The same work one will do much, much, much better. When we are worried about performance and results, unfortunately, half our energy is sapped out on something which we really cannot control. We still can perform if we have an eye on excellence and perfection rather than ambition and desire. Besides, it tends to give a twist to our thinking. So a man who is living for that Invariably, if there is a conflict of interest between his desire and ambition, vis-a-vis the work and its total performance, he will give preference to this. There is a kink right at the beginning. The mother speaks of ambition as the canker in the fruit. So why should we work? Why? For the joy of work. 
An archer does not shoot because he is going to get a medal. He shoots for the joy of it. You know that recently that movie has come, Sir Shah and Vikram Batra. So you know he was that warrior who died in the Kargil War. Young man, what a hero! And he demolishes camps of the you know Pakistani camps, and so much so that they are all the time targeting this one man like Abhimanyu. And eventually, his his motto used to be "Ye dil mangi more." I am not happy with these small victories. I want more and more. He died, but he died like a hero. That is called death. In fact, it's not called death. It is immortality, like Abhimanyu. So this is the kind of life, and why this is missing? Because we don't even teach that our children the joy of sacrifice, doing work for the joy of it, not because you know, right from childhood the king goes in when. People come to home. Peta, jara sunana wo baba black sheep. So, bacha sunata hai. Abhi change ho gaya hoga. I am sorry. And then everybody clap. Oh, wow, he knows such good English. Very good. Hari, it's not a good rhyme, by the way. You know, <laughs> it's, it's. But that apart, the point is that the joy of singing. It's not because you want to become a singer. It's not because you want to perform. It's not because you want to uh, get appreciation. But you are j- enjoying it. And that's the one of the best singing that comes out when you are doing it for the joy of it. It's true of all activities. Speaking. Listening. If somebody is listening because you know you have to listen. Otherwise you know you will be marked absent. That's not a thing. Or because you have signed up. But the joy of listening. So this joy in things is takes a back seat when desire comes to the forefront. So there is a delight in works. And if you do works for the sake of the joy that is inherent in it. And there is so many joys. Leave aside yoga. Even otherwise we do. Which are done not for desire. When a person is busy discovering something new. There is such a joy because he wants to discover. When you read Shurabindu's books, you want to know something which is beautiful. It's not because it gives you desire, satisfaction. Shurabindu doesn't give us seven easy steps to success in family and outside life. In fact, if you asked him, he would say, well, I refuse to be domesticated. <laughs> I'm a very poor father. Abba, he raised his hands. But we read it because there is a joy in that. There are so many activities that we can do. So later on people say we can't read Shurabindu because we have never been taught to do things for the joy of it. Always the thing should have a result. So when we read Shurabindu, I must understand. Now that's not the thing. Just read. It doesn't matter even if one doesn't understand. There is a great joy just reading for the sake of it. Writing for the sake of joy. So joy must come in and when we start doing Nishkam Karma, then this new well opens up. No more for the sake of satisfaction of desire and a result. So Nishkam literally means that. So all the time we do some activity, either because somebody has to be satisfied. Worse comes that, you know, I am trying to make everybody happy. I see this very commonly. Not things have changed, but old time, you know, daughter-in-laws. I have tried my mother-in-law. Uh, father-in-laws are good, huh? generally, for daughter-in-laws. For I try to make her happy, I try to make her, my husband happy, children happy, but I am so unhappy. Uh, is there a way that I can do something about them? I said, no. You're, it's getting it all wrong. You're, you'll just end up becoming a martyr. That's not what life is about. Getting rid of the ego does not mean that I lay myself at the altar of another gigantic ego. The ego has only one place where it should be uh, removed and that is at the feet of the divine. 
as mother put it so beautifully do not live to please yourself do not live to please others so very often when we see oh my ego i should work upon the ego so we start pleasing people do not live to please yourself do not live to please others so what should we live for mother live to please the divine and such a joy if nothing else live for a higher ideal if divine sounds too far and high live for bringing something beautiful into the world live for the day that when you leave people genuinely feel as you know we are speaking of uh, dr jagdish vyas memorial lecture so beautiful that people genuinely remember him for something authentic that he gave if i am not mistaken many portions of savitri has translated you can clarify that vivek i found it very you know it's something beautiful it's like something which has been given to earth not just devoured and went away so this when we live for something larger vaster to create beauty upon earth to create perfection to give a little joy very beautifully conjured in one of the hindi songs kisi ki muskurahaton par ho nisar kisi ka dard tere dil mein le utar jeena isi ka naam hai kisi ke vaaste ho tere dil mein pyar jeena isi ka naam hai it's at a human level but we can take it to a divine height sublime heights so this is the way nishkam karma constant remembrance of the divine is the best purifier what is the one practice people can do when they ask the mother she said you know it's a attitude in a no no mother give us a practice one method she says you want a method yes mother a method which is the method she says well japa call the divine name it is something so powerful it really purifies the whole being so from the yogic perspective this will still this desire restlessness it will bring peace into the system automatically it's no point just uttering om shanti 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 and living by the desired self because then shanti also becomes an object so people in sadhana also start you know assessing their progress how much i have progressed let me see if they don't they become very restless because still they are pursuing it with desire and the third is healing the contradictions of life healing the contradictions of life can only take place not by suppressing one and other bring in the true master take everything to its ultimate point and we'll see there was never any antagonism take reason to its ultimate it will show us the divine reason which works in this creation there is a reason why things happen the way they happen but it's not a human reason it's a divine reason what is divine reason that is supermind we don't want to use very abstract terms what is supermind it's a divine reason the logic of the infinite which is operating in this entire creation we don't know it why because we are caught in a network of forces where we cannot see the play because there we see only things from my me and my centric point of view so this last aspect which is important one is this contradiction to heal them take love to its utmost if you take love only oh love is very bad why because it makes us unhappy nobody returns me what i have loved all my life everybody but at the end i have to end up with mukesh ke sad songs well you never loved love is nothing to do about it love is a flaming angel when we have loved once we will know that love is something so beautiful even if there is no return love still gives joy that is the beauty of love by its nature it's if ananda is the fruit love is the flower you know that beautiful pomegranate tree no mother gives has given a name to the fruit which is different people think that is the same but to the flower she has used the word divine love so it is 
two ways of looking at where there is love there is ananda they are uh, interconnected so depression perfect remedy love love someone love a plant speak to a tree love your child love your wife husband love someone in this world uh, if one cannot love god and see the springs of joy will open and if we take love to the limit it becomes one with reason divine in all his actions even what seems to us very cruel still he loves when he most he loves he strikes that is also his love very beautifully as shubhendra puts it if thou lovest me then strike me if thou strikest me not i know that thou lovest me not ask sri krishna why are you destroying you are being very cruel he will say no i love them really you love them you do this out of love yes why are you doing this i am breaking the forms and liberating the spirit which was feeling so stifled inside that is love love is even kali loves intense love so when we look at when we take love to its ultimate take joy to its absolute what is it ananda which is there in everything take everything to its absolute but how are we to do it because we'll take love to its absolute lifetime is not enough body to its ultimate capacities five lifetimes is not enough every aspect to its absolute how can we do it simple way is love the absolute so when we love god as anant guna not as you know he is impersonal infinite well that is okay that's if you want liberation but it doesn't solve the problem of life but love the divine as anant guna purushottam of the gita he is one and he is infinite endowed with infinite qualities and then we will see that each thing rises to its peak love god and love arrives at its fullness and beatitude turn the mind towards god and our human mind is illumined with the divine reason turn our speech and words in the service of the divine and the speech my words are drunk with the immortal wine there'll be a flow of the nectar of immortality of the gods turn life into an adoration and worship of the eternal and life will mirror the sacred strength the power the luminous force that is inbuilt within it turn the body itself and every act of the body into a ritual worship and we don't need to go to the temple because this is the temple so it is this approach that one can take uh, if one wants to take and arrive at the fullness and the perfection which we are not yet and because we are not yet that therefore we are living in perpetual unease this is the cause of his high unease in one of his poems shobindo says so beautifully there is a need within the soul of man the splendors of the surface never sate for life and mind and their glory and debate are a slow prelude to a vast theme a preface to the epic supreme we have just read the preface of life we have just read the acknowledgement section we have not even entered into the real life and the real life begins when we seek the real the unique the ultimate the one and not the many then real life begins very often people say oh yoga means turning away from life so i tell them when they tell me i say no it is getting into the real life and sometimes you have to tell people get real to use a phrase today get real right now we are playing with illusions how can they make us happy well if we think we can't do that 
then let us be satisfied as aadhe adhure insaan and the paradox is aadha adhura half can never be satisfied it seeks wholeness and fullness and no psychiatrist no psychologist can give it to you ask him i am a psychiatrist i can say that you know with impunity ask a psychiatrist have you found that ultimate peace no i to you know i am very unhappy at home or i am unhappy with this some problem or issue is there unless he becomes a yogi fortunately we don't have to do a qualifier course to enter into yoga we don't have to do a 1000 dollars course though there are plenty of that which goes around all that is needed is a sincere aspiration in the heart and living faith that what i seek is there if it was not there i would not have sought it and we can go still further because i seek it it has already been granted to me my seeking my aspiration is a sign that the fulfillment the seal and signature has already been put on the fulfillment it has to just be realized in everyday life um time limits vivek thank you so much but if there is any question i'll be very happy to take thank you anand kalok uh, ji um, if anyone has any question uh, while people are thinking about question about papa ji that uh, savitri he had written a three uh, volume uh, which is his own study that's what he called yes it. yes and, i think and, that is very important you know because something so beautiful it's a gift to the world i have seen that copy that's why i remembered one thing i just want to on that uh, note because we have seen him working on it uh and the point what you are making about the joy so those three volumes he has written by hand at least four times before he gave it to press yes. so it cannot be done unless you enjoy the work what you are doing there is no way is possible that you write by hand all those pages four times before you see oh now it looks where i want it to be and on a similar note i may add that while you know there is a great joy when we are doing a work of that magnitude the same yes. joy that's what the samata the samam brahman is when uh, ba cooks a lovely meal for everybody yes. for the joy of it Yes. i have seen it it's Don't not be because right. you know somebody will praise or do something so it is applicable in every activity from the so called smallest to the so called largest because yes. it is samam brahman yes um alok uncle this is aditi yes aditi yes i have a question yes um so in in moments like these um you know in, in this talk um it's it it makes someone feel very peaceful to remember that there is a contradiction in everyone and that to get out of this contradiction we have to work to just you know love and focus on the divine and in this moment it will bring peace upon whoever is listening in moments that you know we're not speaking to you <laughs> we're listening to your talk how do you remember to constantly um yeah 
you know, just just remember the love for yeah. the divine. So or just how to extend this consciousness into our everyday life, right? Something yes. like that. So <laughs> yeah. there is a very beautiful saying of Swami Vivekananda. He says, first read. So this is the first first read and listen. In fact, he gave a more importance to listening. So first read and listen. I would say reading is because for the first time we have directly the uh, writings of Shirvindra and the mother, you know, because this at, in Swami Vivekananda we don't have that kind of wealth of literature. So listen, read, doesn't matter. So read and listen. Then he says, think and meditate. So next step is, it's not enough just to read and listen. Next step is meditate upon them. Spend some time, set it apart a time, not a big time. Pick up a passage from Savitri. How I used to do is, before I would start my work every day, I would re- re- write a little passage from prayers and meditation uh, in my office and write a little passage from uh, Savitri, something which I loved. So it was for the joy of it. It doesn't take much time, 10-15 minutes, stay quiet, you know, put some nice Sunilda's music and then you go out for work. So then, Reflect So through the day that line goes on Somewhere or the other A passage you have written For instance a prayer A master act A king idea Can link man's strength to it To the transcendence force Then miracle is made the common rule Now you know it's a passage very powerful Three lines Or all can be done if the God touches there I tell you these lines can be so powerfully They can enter our inner being I remember when I was operated upon for something and the doctors woke me out of anesthesia and there were people, do you recognize, do you recognize? I I was seeing mother's images everywhere. And the first thing that I told them was, all can be done if the God touch is there. So the obviously the surgeon didn't understand. So he asked the people, what is he saying? <laughs> they said, he's okay. <laughs> it's making perfect sense. And then I again lapsed into um, that part. I remember going back into uh, that state of unconsciousness saying, Savitri, Savitri, Savitri. Remembering that how Satyavan had gone into the lap of Savitri, Savitri, Savitri. And there was such a joy. So, you know, Meditate, reflect upon these lines These were lines which I had really reflected upon And there is such a joy Every time in distress, difficulty All can be done if the God touches there So then think and meditate So read and listen, think and meditate Then out of these Pick up one idea Don't get confused here, there, everywhere Pick up one idea For me that one idea is mother, ma But there are people who would say, you know, knowledge, um, different people have different ideas. They have a right to their own ideas. For me, it is Ma, and always to aspire that may I love you and serve you till my last breath of every life. So pick up that one idea. Don't be distracted. Okay, let me try this, try that. And then let that idea enter into your nerve, your veins, live that idea, which means sincerity. At the end of the day, we. Find that for which we are sincerely seeking. Otherwise, life will remain torn. It's a tragedy, you know, when we just read and as you have rightly said, when we have not lived it, it's, it's a, a bigger problem sometimes. So, it's very nice, at least uh, all of you children who are exposed at such a young age, uh, born in a family where you have such a good uh, sanskaras and, you know, um, exposure already given to you. So, don't leave it only at reading and listening. That's where your sincerity will count. That's your practice. Spend a time reading a little bit of, uh, let's say, Savitri and a prayer every day. Spend a little time writing a little prayer to the mother. Uh, Write anything. Mother, I am unhappy. That's it. Mother, gratitude to you. Ma, this happened and, you know, 
I am so happy about it. Share with her everything. And everything you can write. Ma, I feel love for this boy. Ma, oh, I am going through a heartbreak. She is the mother. Now what happens when we do that? First, there is a contact with the divine. We think that the divine is not hurt. No, she wants us to make the contact from our side. Then what happens? She starts pouring herself into that movement, that activity, the, its roots, the tendency. And slowly, it start, a strange alchemy begins to take place within our nature. Because everything that we are experiencing is because of a certain tendency in nature. And when we connect it to the divine by offering... So remember and offer all the activities. It could be taking a bath. Not it could be, it will be all these activities. You know, going to the washroom. Offer it to the mother. Many times we'll forget, but many times we'll remember. But a time will come, then will be, this will become a constant state. So this is the way where the gap always lies between what we know and what we practice. And that gap has to be filled with sincerity. That sincerity comes when we are clear about the goal. So, all these things apart, be clear about the goal of life. If the goal of life is, you know, gratification of desire or some kind of ambition, then it will remain bit here and bit there. We can't help it. But one day, still we must move. One day, things will happen. This life, another life, as Tulsi Das has put it so beautifully, Ek ghadi ya do ghadi, aadho me puniyad, Tulsi sangati sadhu ki hare koti aparad. So even a moment of reflection, slowly a time will come when he whom you are seeking to uh, connect with all your hundred goals will become the goal. So that takes time. That depends on, you know, uh, lives behind us and lives in front of us. So put in whatever practice you can till one day the divine becomes the very goal, the reason of our existence. Where we are able to say that even if everything is taken away from me, the last shred of dress which hides my utter shame and nudity, my sense of being an empress, even that is taken away. Still, oh Krishna, may I remember you, may I remember you. That's Draupadi. So that should be our state. And it takes time to reach that climax. But it comes. It has come in the life of many and it will come. Okay, Aditi? Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Look, uh, this is Dolores. I have a oh, hi. question. Yeah. Hi, and, and reflection as well. Um, everything you just said, I also found as I ask mother to help on daily basis. And June, I think, um, 11th of 2012, when she was creating an amazing groups, she mentioned about how we can be more diligent about our thoughts. Um, and she actually had five conditions and everything that you just mentioned were there. It's unbelievable. I just want to thank you for and your team for all the daily posts. Uh, but uh, as we all having this pressure of uh, from the mother um, to perform better and, and achieve this amazing uh, goal of transformation and perfection and because we're all there in this, in this privileged, amazing uh, journey, um, listening you you talks, um, I came to this a little bit of confusion. How to differentiate uh, between renunciation and rejection? Okay, that's wonderful, wonderful. Yeah. So, how to differentiate between renunciation and rejection? So, uh, first of all, renunciation, as it is understood today, is 
the renunciation which is outward so let's say that you know one renounces the home one walks away doesn't have own a home one renounces wealth so there is no bank balance this how it has been traditionally understood and there is a very beautiful uh, par- uh, you know um, chapter on renunciation where shobindo clarifies it very beautifully in the synthesis of yoga he says concentration is the left arm of yoga renunciation is the right arm so what really is renunciation is not a renunciation of object but renunciation of the way we deal with it we have wealth but we are uh, you know renouncing it uh, renouncing normally means that i uh, throw away this wealth or give it away to somebody but rejection means i reject all the egoistic attachment the greed uh, all the kinds of other things which are associated the lust which uh, people use wealth to satisfy or money to make money so i am rejecting those tendencies basically i am rejecting the entire network of lower nature which has usurped everything and uses it for the expansion of the empire of the lower this in context of what you beautifully mentioned about the higher consciousness and placing the same things in the hands of the divine to use them let's take an example of uh, let us say relationship so wealth and all is easy to understand what does one do in case of rena- uh, relationship so one is that renounce means okay i will leave and now i'll walk away no we reject all kinds of expectation desires ambitions that have gone into it lust and we learn to love for the sake of it when mother was asked about it it's beautifully uh, she explained uh, this is in uh, volume 8 of uh, collected works of the mother uh, 308 or 301 later on you could uh, read the whole passage where she was asked that we are asked to reject all human love for the sake of the divine so what do we do if human love comes in a way she says ah go through it it's a beautiful preparation and then she says many people in trying to reject human love they end up rejecting the very possibility of love and sometimes it takes centuries to recover it so she gives us the solution learn to love without expectation now it's difficult because human nature is you know not geared like that there is always some expectation of the other learn to love unselfishly that's how she says uncalculatingly well world may say that you know you'll be deceived and all that yes of course there there will be all these things will happen but eventually we will start at some point going past the form and touching the principle of divine love and then that love will begin to manifest and express in our life and you know actions so this to take two examples one of a material object at one end and second of you know human uh, relationship at the highest uh, the most difficult part because of the inherent complexity of human beings uh, then in uh, much later in uh, volume 10 she also described very beautifully she says don't suppress things don't reject because when you have this idea of good and bad she explains very beautifully it prevents offering why because automatically bad we put it behind and good we put up a very nice picture she says no don't have that so what should we have mother she says it doesn't mean you indulge into it but see things as they are and offer them to the light in fact she has used very strong words there she says uh, do not try to be among the holies so she says that accept your own burden of the anti divine which is what is meant the deeper sense of the biblical symbol that you know bear your own cross and bear your own burden so all of us have the shadow within us which has to be offered seen acknowledged and offered and sometimes in the process we may indulge because you know it's more difficult to do this way than to just shove it inside and 
put it under, you know, uh, sit over it. But here it will come out and we have to keep offering with an aspiration that may whatever it is within me, may it turn into what its original sense is. Because even the lowest, as he says in Savitri, our lowest parts have room for uh, highest needs. Our deepest needs have room for, uh, you know, highest um, uh, possibilities. So, even the very lowest things, aspects, even merely eating, sleeping, things which are directly connected to the bodily self, even they have a possibility of something higher. So we have to keep offering them with a will for uh, beauty, for you know, purity in the higher sense, not in the moral sense, uh, for divinization and for the divine to use them. It's a long process but more complete and eventually that brings perfection. Uh, renunciation as we understand today is very easy leave something but the tendency remains the roots remain and that's why in olden times there was the idea of monastic order uh, wear one kind of clothes don't meet with people uh, or avoid shun this kind of people because you will get contaminated and it used to happen when sannyasis came out into the world they couldn't handle it so here while we are in the world while things are with us we keep offering them with a will for their uh, you know, uh, becoming more better, more beautiful, more in accordance with the law of truth. That is what we have to uh, practice. Yes. Thank you, Alodji, again. Thank you.